Well, today's kind of a big deal. Easter is at the heart of the Christian faith. If there is any good news about following Jesus, it really comes down to what we believe to be the case about today. Do we believe that Jesus Christ rose from the grave? Now, many of you are here today present because you've heard this message before and you believe in the resurrection and those words that we say in the historic creed that Jesus Christ was crucified, died and was buried and on the third day he rose from the grave. But I'm going to go out on a limb here a little bit and say that there may be some people here today that aren't so sure. There's probably somebody here, maybe a few somebodies, that aren't totally convinced that a dead person can get up and walk around and be alive again. Now, let me say up front that the most important part of Easter isn't really about the body itself. The most important part is that death turns out to not be the end of the story at all. Instead, the final word is really about life. Life that overcomes even what seems the very worst of all. But if you have trouble with the Easter story, I want to talk particularly to you today. I'd like to challenge you today to put your faith in Jesus Christ, even though you may have pain in your life, even though God hasn't answered your prayers, even when you saw someone go through great tragedy that didn't seem fair. In spite of all the hard questions that don't seem to have an answer, I would invite you to consider being a follower of Jesus Christ nevertheless. Why? Because of what happened on Easter long ago. You see, see, Easter is kind of an end run around all the objections and all the questions that usually stand in the way of faith. The foundation of our faith in Christ doesn't really have to do with having all of our questions answered. Faith does not require having solid arguments that take away all our doubts and questions. Christian faith does not depend upon the moral and ethical behavior of all Christians. You know, all of us still need to be forgiven. We still make mistakes, whether we believe in Christ or not. And you know, faith isn't based on permanence and the majestic beauty built into great cathedrals and works of art across history The fire that took place in Notre Dame Cathedral this week was a tragic loss. But you know what? It does not diminish the faith at all. No, the foundation of our faith in Christ is the mystery that we celebrate at Easter. Easter is something that can only be explained as God's doing. And that is what we hold to. Now, I need to do a little explaining about what I mean here. Bear with me for a moment as I try to lay this out for you. There are many movements in history and religions that have appeared over the course of the ages. And if you study such things, there is a repeating pattern that comes up time and time again. There's a science to understanding such things and a paradigm for explaining how social and religious movements take hold and grow and are carried forward over time. Now, I'm going to oversimplify this, but generally it goes something like this. In a period of uncertainty and unrest, there are different rival ideas about what's to be done and how things might be explained. And then... 
Every so often, there might be some charismatic individual or group that appears that begin to have a way of sharing a message, crafting a message in such a way that it grabs hold of people and it captures their imagination. It captures what it is that they would believe and aspire to. And the message connects people in a powerful way. Often there is an old guard that's present that resists this new message, but there is also that group that holds on to it and wants it, and they link themselves to it. And there's a tension between these groups. But eventually, if there's enough excitement and energy among the population to overcome the status quo, the new message wins out, and the people get behind it, and it changes the course of history. And over time, the world is different. And so the message gets written down and passed on, and it shapes the way people relate to one another and the way that people live. This is how revolutionary movements work. This is how the world undergoes change. This sort of change follows some predictable patterns. For example, just as an example, there's the story of the civil rights movement. We're all familiar with that. Unrest in our country, people divided over race, divided about how to respond to the conditions that African Americans experienced. And there were people who, were, who inspired others to go beyond the cultural norms of the day, challenged the nation to live up to its founding ideas. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., for example, decided to leave behind a promising career as an educator in New England and choose to move to all places back in the South to Montgomery, Alabama, which might be considered the very epicenter of unrest and controversy in that time. Now, Dr. King was an extraordinary communicator and an extraordinary leader, and he preached and he spoke and he presented a message in such a way that he inspired people to work for change and to live in a whole new way. He took an idea and put it forward into a new context, nonviolence. Now, some of his closest friends later admitted when he came on the scene, they had other strategies in mind. They were prepared to use violence if necessary for the sake of advancing civil rights. But Dr. King said, no, this is going to be a nonviolent movement. This is how we're going to operate. This will be how we change the culture and the conversation about race in this country. And people rallied behind him until tragically in 1968, he died a violent death. But you know, that was not the end of the movement. Those who had listened to the message decided this would not be the end. And after his death, the movement was carried forward by others who took up the message and shared the dream that he had inspired. They carried on the work that he had done. And the country began to change. And we moved closer to that more perfect union described in our founding documents. It's a fascinating story, a wonderful story, a story we should all know, and a story, by the way, that's not yet finished by any means. But in that story, we can step back and see a pattern that fits with other social movements that change the course of history. When you see that pattern repeated across the centuries, you recognize it again and again. It might explain so many things like the Enlightenment and the Industrial Revolution, the information age in which we now live. These are seen as following the same pattern. Now, here's where something interesting comes along. When you try to use that pattern 
to explain the rise and spread of Christianity, you suddenly run into a problem. Christianity, as a movement, does not fit the paradigm. Something else is going on here. A very tiny handful of Jesus followers somehow survived the first century. They survived the Roman Empire. They survived all the pressures from competing religions and movements of that day. And the movement of Jesus followers actually grew and spread so that within a couple of generations, there were little churches spread all over the Mediterranean world. And 2,000 years later, here we are. We know it happened, but the paradigm, the model for explaining such things, just does not fit what's actually taking place. Something else is going on, and that's the great mystery. Now, the reason that Christianity doesn't fit the pattern is all wrapped up in the message. The main problem was that the message is all about Jesus. It's all wrapped up in a person. There's no way to separate the message from the messenger. See, Jesus never asked his followers to put their trust in his ideas. He never said, trust my teaching. Practice these principles that I lay out to you. Trust in these revolutionary notions that I have to share. Instead, he always instructed his followers to put their trust in him. And this makes Christianity, unlike any other movement, it makes Christianity unique. And there's no easy explanation for what's going on here, except for the mystery that we celebrate this weekend. One day, Jesus was with his disciples, and he asked them, Who do you say that I am? And Peter was the one who responded, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus did not stop him. He didn't say to Peter, no, 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 you've got it wrong there. Wait a minute. No, instead he said to Peter, you're absolutely right. And what's more, you did not come up with this on your own. God must have shown it to you. And right there you can see there's a problem for us, don't you? Jesus does not fit the usual pattern. The message is inseparably tied up with him. The message cannot be separated from the messenger. When Jesus began his public ministry, he went to John the Baptist to be baptized. And when John looked upon Jesus, he did not say, Behold the one who's going to provide us a new teaching. No, he didn't say that at all. Instead, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The movement that Jesus started was not about ideas. It was not about a message. Jesus himself was not a messenger or an instrument or a vessel. Rather, he was the message he came to deliver. He was master and Lord. He was Savior. And he called us not to take up his ideas or his teachings, but instead he invited us to come and follow him. None of Jesus' followers ever indicated that the reason that Jesus came was to leave behind some teachings that they might pass on to others. The movement began with Jesus calling some fishermen on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, Come and follow me. He called the tax collector to leave behind his work and follow him. And he challenged his listeners to take up their cross daily and follow him. The invitation was not to sign on to some organization, not to accept certain teachings. His invitation was to put our trust and loyalty in him as a person. 
Now, all of that is fine and good until the moment that Jesus himself was put to death. All that came crashing down when Jesus was put upon a cross. That, you see, presents a problem. How do you follow Jesus if Jesus is shut away dead in a tomb? How do you put your trust in someone who is gone? How can he be your savior and guide, a master and friend, when he is buried in the ground? Jesus had once said, I am the resurrection and the life. And yet outside the tomb on that day following the crucifixion, clearly he was no such thing. And yet, and yet here we are on Easter Sunday celebrating his life and also his power and his ongoing significance in the world today. Something must have happened so that there would still be followers of Christ. And not just us, by the way, but you know, a third of the world's population joins with us in proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord. There are millions upon millions of people in the world that proclaim the news, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. And for generations, people have greeted one another on Easter morning saying, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. How is it that this movement somehow survived the first century and spread and endures to this very day? How could that be? How could that possibly be? That is history's greatest mystery. Well, here's what I think took place. Jesus had been crucified and the body wrapped and placed hurriedly in a borrowed tomb. It was done that way since Sabbath was just about to begin And the Jews do not do such work, certainly not burial work, on the Sabbath. That was on Friday. Now it was early on the first day of the week, Sunday morning. It was still dark. The sun had not yet come up. And the women went to the tomb to finish the work that was only partially done on Friday evening. Early on that first day, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she went running and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And she said, they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Now, seeing an empty tomb, Mary didn't really have an explanation. She didn't know why the tomb would be that way. She guessed that somebody must have come and taken away the body. She doesn't know that for a fact. She's just guessing. She's confused, kind of grasping for straws, I suppose guessing at what might have happened in order to make sense of what she saw with her own eyes. Now, I think that's an important detail here. Nobody was standing at the tomb that Easter morning looking at their watch and counting down the moments. There were no folding chairs set up for a sunrise service. There were no guitars and PA system plugged in. There was nobody. The people who brought us the story of the resurrection sheepishly, but honestly admit, we thought that when he died, he would stay that way. They were not tricked somehow into thinking otherwise. They knew the cross had done its work, and the one they knew and loved and followed was now dead and gone. So when Mary found the tomb to be empty, she did not assume the resurrection. She assumed that somebody had stolen the body, and she went running to find the disciples to tell them what was happening. Now, both Peter and the disciple, we think is John, went to the tomb. Both ran there and 
The first one there peeked in, and then when Peter arrived, he actually went into the tomb. But they didn't find what they were looking for. And that wasn't enough for them to actually believe in the resurrection either. Do you know what it was that the disciples, that led the disciples to finally believe in the resurrection? Here they had spent years following Jesus around. They had heard him preach on many occasions, listened to him tell the parables, watched him as he healed the sick and shared meals with the outcast. But in the end, it wasn't the teaching, it wasn't the miracles, it wasn't the crucifixion, it wasn't even the empty tomb that led the disciples to believe in the resurrection. The followers believed because of what they saw, or rather who they saw. They ended up seeing Jesus. They saw the living Jesus. They saw him crucified, and then they saw him risen from the grave. That's what we celebrate today. That's the great mystery of it all. There are several accounts of people who went on to see the risen Christ. Not just two or three people. Not just a handful of people, but more than 500 people were told. And he was seen on multiple occasions. And having seen the risen Christ, that had a tremendous impact on those who were witnesses And although you and I may never have been able to see the resurrected Jesus ourselves, we can indeed see the impact that it had on those first disciples. After his resurrection, suddenly those disciples who had given up and went into hiding, now they go into the street to preach. They begin to boldly share the news of Jesus. Notice they didn't share primarily the words of Jesus. They did not share the teachings of Jesus. Instead, they proclaimed the death and resurrection of Jesus. He is not dead, they said over and over again. He is alive. He is risen. He is risen indeed. They saw and then they passed on the message of what they'd seen. And that transformation that took place in those first disciples left an impact on those that follow after. In fact, it leaves an impact that still ripples across the world today. They proclaimed that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. And now was the time for everyone to put their trust and faith in him. He is Lord. Christ is risen. And he comes to invite us to follow him today. That, my friends, is why we're here today. The resurrection of Jesus brings each of us an opportunity to engage with the Lord of life today. Our faith is not about a message or a teaching It's not about a person who lived for a short period of time, long, long ago, and then died. Instead, our faith is about a relationship of trust and hope and life that is offered to each and every one of us today. It's a relationship to a person, a relationship with the risen Christ, who is very much alive and is at work in the world right now. Easter is the reason that there is still a movement of Jesus' followers in the world today. This is God's doing. Easter means that there is someone we can turn to and follow as Master and Lord all these centuries later. A movement not based on ideas or institutions or organizations, but but instead a movement based on a relationship with the one who is alive and at work in the world. And one who offers us life instead of death. So how about it? The invitation is extended to us all today. What will you decide? 
Are you willing to believe the story in the resurrection? Are you willing to believe that Easter means that the worst thing is never the last thing? We don't need to understand all the details and have an explanation of just what took place. After all, it's still a mystery. But we might trust that God works in some ways that are wonderful to behold and that we can be a part of it. In the end, I can only speak for myself. One believer offering a personal witness of the message of Easter faith. Yes, I believe it. And not only believe it, I am counting on it. And I hope and pray that you might also. Amen.